Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. I am your host, Andre Degler, reporting from Amsterdam. Today's episode is the third and final part of our Tech Chill special. So today we will listen to the final three interviews that our team recorded at the Tech Chill conference in Riga last month. In this episode, I have put together three conversations uh, with people from Finland and Estonia uh, talking about investor reporting, about cybersecurity, about beer, about entrepreneurship and much more. So first up is Pekka Vilto, uh, the co-founder of Rundit. And Rundit is an investor reporting tool, which is one place where startups update everything about the company, all the metrics, everything they want to share, and then they invite investors to come there and check it out. So let's listen to, to his story, and uh, I will be back in a bit. Hello, hello. This is Andre Degler reporting today from uh, Riga, the Tech Chill conference. This is the first day of the conference, and I am catching up with Pekka Vilto uh, from a startup called uh, Rundit. Uh, hi, Pekka. Great to meet you today. Really good to meet you. So, what is uh, Rundit? Uh, Rundit is an investor reporting tool. So, we are basically providing uh, like a centralized platform for the for the companies how they report towards their investors and other stakeholders so basically the companies they get a one place where they update their metrics and do their like verbal updates then they just invite all their investors in the same place so no need to report in multiple ways basically uh, so it uh, comes to substitute uh, the mailing lists and excel sheets and all that kind of thing yeah exactly so uh when we started to do the our right product development, we went through huge amount of VCs and huge amount of angel investors and companies, and and uh, tried to learn and understand how 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 the companies how they do their reporting. And what we noticed was that basically all the investors, all the VCs, everybody are just using Excel spreadsheets. So uh, it can be that your company has got a multiple vcs for example five vcs and then you are then you are filling the same uh, data basically in in five different excel spreadsheets and then you are sending those and and also the other end or the other side so the investor side so then you are collecting these uh, excel spreadsheets from your portfolio and then you are summing it up for for one excel spreadsheet for to do your lp reporting right so we just wanted to simplify the whole thing so do you uh, have you already uh, raised money for this? We have raised yeah, we have raised all together like 1.3 million. Yeah. So and uh, how big is your team now? There's now uh, 9 of us and 10th is actually now starting. Right. Uh, where are you all based? Uh, the the actual company is is finished. Right. So in Finland in Helsinki, uh, most of the team is there. I'm the only lonely ranger who is uh, who is in in Amsterdam. So what's your day-to-day -day like? What do you do? My day-to-day -day work is, well, I'm one of the co-founders, so, well, we co-founders, you know how it is, so we all do everything. <laughs> but uh, but my, my basic basic field is uh, sales and marketing. So right. ba basically sales is my, my thing and connecting the right people and finding the, finding the right people from the, from the in industry. So how many uh, customers do you have now on both sides, investors and startups? 
I don't know exact amount of 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 startups who who is using hundreds anyway. And uh, but but then if we are talking about we see users, there's now over sixty VCs using us for their right. portfolio reporting. Um, in in Finland only, like we we use the number ninety percent of the Finnish VC market is using Rundit. Oh right, that's that, that's pretty impressive, I guess. Well, it is impressive. It is impressive. It has been. It has been. The start has been really good, and uh, what we try to achieve, of course, this whole thing is that what we are expecting is going to happen now in Finland that we start to really talk about standardizing the investor reporting, and uh, that that of course cuts the um, startups time a lot, and also eases the um, eases the investors' life a lot. So uh, then it starts to be now in Finland already that there's only only one place where they update their metrics and, and everything. And then they just, that's it, basically. Now, I don't really know this market that well, but I wouldn't uh, believe that you are the only ones doing this. So who are your competitors? There's few few of us. Maybe the most known is uh, Visible.vc, right. a US-based company. We both are doing basically the same stuff, but trying to tackle the same problem and from a di- little bit different kind of angles. Um, maybe the biggest biggest differentiator is uh, is that Visible is uh, charging the company. Uh, it costs, I don't know exact, but about 150, 200 euros per month from the from the startup. And in our case, it's it's totally different. So it's, we are free for the startups. And so the investors, they pay the bill. Why is that? Is there any particular reason you decided to go for this business model? Well, we believe that the like the barrier of entry has to be low as possible for the startups. We want that there's no reason for the startup why they wouldn't use Rundit. The VC sales is or the investor sales generally it's it's fairly easy because the problem is there. So everybody everybody knows, all the investors know that it's really hard to get any data even the basic metrics from the startups. And the reason, so that, that sales is easy. So when, when we meet the VC, they say that, okay, yeah, we have a problem with that or it takes too much time for us. So yeah, we would like to start to use Rundit. So we just want that when the VC, when they, when they invite their whole portfolio to, uh, to Rundit, they, they have no reason why they wouldn't use it. Right, and how much do you charge? At the moment, this uh, uh, this product that we have at the moment, it's 200 euros per fund from the VC per month. Right. And is there any particular stage of a startup that you are targeting? Is it mostly early stage? Is it mostly well, seed well, stage? Early stage in a way that we want to learn also for the startups that investor reporting, it's not complicated. Right. Thing, or it doesn't have to be hard and it always has to be in place. And so from the early stage, there's more this like educational side. And then the biggest benefits come when, when there is um, multiple VCs, for example, for the startups or, or multiple investor groups. So it can be, for example, one of our users, they got, uh, three VCs, 30 bigger angel investors, and then they have two, 2000 crowdfunding investors. So how to manage that kind of thing? When they are centralizing everything to run it, then then it makes their life like <laughs> shitload. It's easy. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. And uh, where are your customers located? So you you, you said it's a lot of uh, Finnish VCs, but uh, where else? You focus on Europe now? Well, 
in a way, we are, we are focusing on Europe, yes, uh, because we are in Europe, but also we got, we got the first VCs from US as well. Right. How different is it? Did you have to adjust a lot? At all. Not at all. No. Uh, basically, we've done our homework for, with this. So, right. so, so the basic metrics and all the stuff that needs to be reported or, or communicated to, from, the, from the startups to the investors, they are, they are global. Right. So there's not much difference. So what's next uh, for Rendit then? What, what, what do you have planned? What are you well, busy with? Well, we have, we have the first bank users now. We have now uh, Danske Bank uh, using us and, uh, and then also, also Nodea is coming in. Okay. So, um, so they want to serve their growth company startup customers better in a way that, uh, for example, if, if your company is looking for funding, uh, instead of chasing some bank, sending them your investor package for them, and then you are waiting that they go through all your papers and, and documents. Uh, instead of that, you can open the access for the, for example, for Danske from right. Reddit. So then they get the metrics like immediately. And you can always, the startup is always the one or the company is always the one who, who decides who sees what. So you can, even in the metrics level, you can decide what you want to share. So no, there's no open data to anyone. So, so the company always decides who sees what. But, but the banks are the banks are this is next step for Rundit. Yeah, this is quite interesting. Now uh, let's get to TechChill, the conference. We are both uh, in your awareness speaker badge, which means you're going to be on stage. What are you going to talk about? Well, <laughs> funny enough, I'm talking about the investor relations and, uh, <laughs> and uh, investor communication, and and then the then the importance of investor right. communication. So. Um, just trying to get the word out so of the of the importance of the investor communication and and more actually that it doesn't have to be hard so in simplified way when you have the proper structure you can do it and also so i'm talking for for the startups but also at the same time i'm talking for the investors so that the investors would also understand that you don't actually need to get that much out of it like you don't have to chase your startups all the time that you can do it also in the lean model so um that's right. my that's my topic right so what do you think is the main issue currently uh for investor relations from both sides what's what's wrong with it i i think that just that both parties make it too complex and think about it too complex. So uh, it can be simplified. And um, run this, run it is one solution for that. But the most important thing is that everybody tries to find their their own, own solution for that. But but the maybe the communication in the in every level that's broken. So um, we have a saying that you wouldn't need to report if you would communicate. If you have the frequent communication and, and both sides asks about things and, and uh, ask help and, and whatever, it, it builds the communication and that's, then you don't have much to report. Sounds about right. Well, Pekka, thank you very much for uh, taking the questions today and uh, good luck on stage. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's a great start of today's episode and it's time for us to move on to the next interview. The second conversation for today's episode is with Crystal Krustuk, the co-founder and former CEO of Testlio. I think Crystal is really one of the most transparent entrepreneurs that I have listened to. Among other things, she gave some details in this conversation on why she decided to step down as CEO and give up the post to someone else. 
Another interesting detail about Testlio is that uh, Crystal's co-founder is also her husband. So yeah, keep listening to this uh, conversation to hear how this has worked out. So hey, this is Robin Walters for uh, Tech.eu, and I'm here in Riga, Latvia for the TechChill conference, sitting down with one of my favorite entrepreneurs from Estonia, uh, Crystal from Testlio. Give us a, the basics. What is Testlio? So hello, thank you for having me here on this podcast. And Testlio is a company that uh, connects uh, a global community of testers with companies that need testing for their apps. So we fuel amazing customer experiences with our global community. Great. Tell us a bit more about the company. When was it born? Why was it born? Yes. So Testlio uh, was like I initially had the idea of Testlio back in 2012. And I had been working as a tester uh, for a few years and I moved from Estonia to London to just gain new experiences. And I started like uh, working on different crowdsourced testing platforms because this is the time when it was really the up and coming. And I really loved the idea that those crowdsourced uh, companies really connect people around the world with companies that need type, some types of services. As a tester, I was, I became frustrated after a couple of months. And then I decided to do something about it. And as I didn't find any solutions in the market, I felt that I can do it. And I teamed up with my now husband, Marco. And yeah, we've been in business for um, six years now. And we are uh, a team of 60 people and we have 50, more than 15,000 uh, testers in our amazing, community today. Amazing. And we work with companies, uh, with like, what kind uh, of companies? So mostly enterprises. We work with CBS, uh, NBA, hotels.com, Microsoft. So yeah, that's what we do. And do these companies pay you uh, like a monthly license to be able to access your community of testers? Is yes, that, that exactly. Works? So there's a, like we set our, up our customers for a monthly subscription. And they uh, usually come and partner with us Very for cool. a year. Yeah. So you said that when you started the company, you didn't really find anything uh, that was doing what Tesla does now. So fast forward to today, what does the competitive landscape look like now? Oh, so obviously testing market is uh, a very, very hot market. There is a huge demand for it in the market because mobile is so challenging for so many companies and uh, automation isn't something that is going to solve it because we have thousands of different variations of Android devices. Like we have iPhones, like there's so many huge pool of devices. It makes it very, very challenging uh, for companies to test them on various devices. So we give them the opportunity to do that through our platform. So, yeah. So what I also like about Tesla, it kind of gives you a front row seat to all of the new applications that are coming out. Um, so what is your view on this? Like, How are the apps changing over, over time? One thing I can say for sure is that uh, companies have started to put a lot of uh, investment into testing. So the budget that companies spend on testing has grown tremendously over the past like uh, seven years already. And um, the app market itself is very competitive, which makes uh, companies... Uh, to test more and at the same time release very often. So like people or our customers, like end users want like a lot of features and new things to happen. So companies have to keep up with that. And so, uh, so yeah, it's really exciting to be in this, uh, yeah, in this business. Extremely competitive, but at the but same also. time, there is a challenge that testing has been an afterthought for like decades, right? People think that, uh, oh, testing is easy to do. And, uh, like we can test, like our developers can test, but, uh, when it comes to mobile, 
mobile, like you really have to change your strategy. And uh, I'm glad that we've been able to partner up with those big companies and really help them uh, achieve their goals, which is essentially making their customers happy. Great, great. Um, do your customers also come to you for additional? Like, I can imagine that when you test applications through your platform, they would have questions like you know um, on design or on user experience do you provide any consultancy services or do you have like a network uh, of partners that you can uh, refer them to today yes we have we have had customers that have like come in and said like hey can you do some user experience uh, testing for us or security testing or like load testing but in those cases we just uh, decline uh, and uh, oh, we usually have like some other companies that we just know that are up and coming in the industry and so we just refer them uh, to those types of other pro services providers oh, focus it's a good yeah thing. <laughs> focus is a good thing but uh, yeah in the first few years like as you start your company it's for sure um, like it's hard to say no to the money. Uh, like you want to do everything, and uh, and so if you can find focus, then it's like perfect. And I'm glad that we have found it. And when I first started Tesla, I thought that oh, we're gonna test everything. Then we quickly realized that uh, like mobile is the is the way for us to go. And so Samsung just came up with a a new foldable phone yesterday. Did that, you yeah. see it? Yeah, yeah. That was pretty epic, and so that's gonna create the new uh, like uh, era for um, the device market as well. I think, very which cool. is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> have you raised any investment? Yes. So we have raised in about uh, eight million in total uh, funding, and uh, the, the investment has come from uh, outside investors, like in the US. And today we, yeah, today we are in a comfortable position. So. Don't very, cool. Any <laughs> very cool. Um, so one, one of the things I really like about you is that you're very transparent about the way that you're, um, you know, as, as a person leading this business and, um, you stepped down as CEO uh, a couple of months ago. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, so I just gave a talk on this, uh, on stage as well. But, uh, yes. So back in, in the end of October, I basically took the role as a chief testing officer at Testio. Uh, and we brought in our longtime investor, advisor and friend, Steve Semmelsberger, uh, who has basically known us since the beginning of Testio. So we met him uh, back in 2013 when we went through the Techstars Accelerator and he was in Austin and he was the one that uh, we really liked and really connected with. And so he quickly became an investor with us. And then uh, over the years, he has supported us with so many different uh, challenges as well as like he has, he, for example, helped us uh, to bring on board our first uh, US team member who came in to lead sales for us and like she's still with the company and so now they get to work together so it's really really amazing to see but uh, but yeah I don't think if it would have happened if we had had not that connection like uh, we don't think that we would have gone out there to search for someone like I would have pushed it through and uh, with my co-founder but uh, but yeah it's just like a coincidence because like few years back, actually, uh, we thought about bringing him uh, on board as well. But at that time, it just uh, right. and was we it didn't difficult? have the resources. Was it difficult for you to uh, sort of take a step down? No. Or it doesn't not, feel like a step down. It's like not at all, because for me as a founder, no matter what, for me, the goal is to make sure that Tesla is a success. Like it doesn't matter to me uh, what type of a role I have. And I think especially like, 
in the beginning you think that uh, oh yeah i'm the ceo like this is a like you have a lot of responsibilities but at the same time you don't have a lot of those responsibilities so as you grow as a company you have your team is growing so you have to start managing expectations you have to work with a lot of financials and you have to go get really deep in that and this is where not like this is where my heart didn't lie in so um but my heart has always lied in uh, in the testing community right and working with our testers and this is what uh, just really makes me excited and but obviously like over the years um uh, when we started with Tesla there there have been people on uh, on our journey that have concretely told us that I don't I am not the CEO so but being able to get Tesla into position where we're able to bring in uh, a really great talent and um and for for him to come in and help us to grow even further it's i think i achieved a lot but now it's the next phase and era for Tesla, so uh, I'm really, really happy about it. So, but it all kind of uh, the way it all happened was that I, the tra- like transition for me happened started happening. I think in uh, last year in February when I became a mom. So I did a lot of uh, <laughs> thank <laughs> one you, year old now? one year old son Aaron, and uh, he has taught me a lot already. But uh, but yeah, anyways, he like during the time at home with him. Uh, uh, I did a lot of self-reflection. So I thought about the things that I'm good at and the things that I'm not that good at and what are the challenges and where we would need more support. And, uh, and then eventually Steve, um, uh, got, we got reconnected again, like in August, um, and he was changing his career and, and then we were like, oh, this is perfect fit. Right. Well, I think it's it's great that you're sharing all this. Um, you know, uh, when you were, I remember when you were pregnant, you were blogging about like <laughs> what it's like to be like a pregnant entrepreneur, and then as a young mother, um, and also the fact that your co-founder is actually your husband now. Um, that already provides sort of a challenging environment, I would think. Is that like how difficult is this? Because it's already difficult to do a startup with co-founders. I can't imagine what it's like to have like private and professional life so intertwined. If you want to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about it uh, because uh, over the past years, like all the years that we've been working together with Marco, like it's been a perfect ride. And Marco is constantly saying that I am the best co-founder that he has ever had. And obviously, like over the years, uh, like we took a lot of work at home. So eventually we didn't have like no like life besides work so we obviously put uh like some uh things in place for our relationship as well that like we come home we don't talk about work anymore and uh we take time for ourselves and uh and it has worked out great so i'm i'm really happy that uh we decided to make that like decided to step into it together but it didn't like in the beginning, like Marco didn't think it's a good idea either. Right. And so, but when we started, uh, we started from a hackathon. So, uh, at the hackathon, we were actually hiding the fact that we are a couple founders as well. But, uh, but yeah, then what we realized was that, uh, team is everything as you start, uh, your company and as you grow, it's, it's becoming even more important. So, uh, the fact that we had been in a relationship for a few years by then and we had moved from uh, one country to another, like we had been through challenges and we had been like done different projects together. It really uh, showed that we have a strong relationship. So it, it laid like a great foundation for a great uh, working relationship as well. 
and we really balance each other so uh, our well, strengths and weaknesses just very happy to see you working out like there. a puzzle <laughs> yeah. no it's very 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 nice um but th thank you for sharing that and i would recommend you to keep sharing all these these personal stories because i can tell that it relates with a lot of people um in the audience as well today but also in the past so please it's, keep sharing all oh, this it's really hard sometimes to uh yeah just like i feel like i have nothing to sh share oh you do <laughs> thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Tesla. thank you so much <laughs> That's an amazing interview. I just love this. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Robin and uh, Crystal, uh, for recording this one. Now, to finish off this episode and this series, here's a conversation with uh, Tiet Panenen, uh, the CTO of Verif. Also, Tiet is a former managing director of uh, Skype Estonia and the owner of a brewery in Tallinn. So let's check this one and learn more about all these uh, parts of uh, Tiet's life. Hello, this is Andre Degler from tech.eu, uh, catching up uh, uh, here at the Tech Chill Conference with uh, Tiet Pananen uh, from the startup Verif. Hi, Tiet, uh, great to be talking to you today. Nice to be here. So, uh, can you start with uh, explaining what Verif is? So, Verif is this uh, service that enables companies to identify their users remotely online and in very secure way. It basically transforms the physical identity that governments issue into the digital identity that companies can use to verify their transaction. Whatever the, those transactions might be, either anti-money laundering or KYC process-related uh, transactions. Uh, so it basically builds trust. That's interesting. I'm also looking at your... Uh uh, at what you're wearing. This is an interesting thing with a passport number yeah. writ written on your chest. <laughs> so this is a machine-readable zone, uh, right. usually available in travel documents, and it has Verif DNA written into it. So if machine reads that, they will see what Verif is all about. I see. So how about yourself? What's your own background? I know that you used to be the managing director of Skype Estonia. So why did you decide to join Verif? Well, uh, after Skype, uh, I worked uh, in Pipedrive, which is another Est hot Estonian startup uh, doing CRM software. And uh, I sort of got my work ready in three years. And uh, I'm not really the person who enjoys being in comfort zone too long. So right. I decided to move on and uh, decided that my life is not over. <laughs> so I'll just go and, and uh, join the hardest thing at the moment. And I believe the problem that Verif is solving is quite a fundamental one because we have a gen we have a strong signs that mm -hmm. the internet uh, uh, needs more trust built in so how do we do that we basically use technology to enable that so how does it work uh, you basically go through the verification flow either on web browser or mobile web or um, mobile applications we make a picture of you uh, we make, sure, make a picture of your document, we video record the whole session, everything gets sent to Verif, we automatically verify that you are you, and eliminate all the possible fraud vectors or attack uh, opportunities, and then basically send to the company that asks you to do that, the verdict, whether it was you, whether it was uh, fraud, hinting to fraud or not, etc. Right. And how long does it take? It takes a couple of minutes. Okay. So it's a rather fast process. Right now, it's been reported uh, on multiple occasions that many companies that are 
working on AI solutions uh, and uh, image processing solutions in particular. Uh, it turns out that many of them are still training their models, which means that a lot of the work that's supposed to be AI work is still done by humans uh, manually. Is that the case for you as well? Well, obviously, because uh, machines can't decide which is better approach, right? So they can only ask, uh, they can only do what you ask them to do. And those models need to be retrained constantly because the scenarios change, documents change. Models are very document specimen, origin, whatnot based. They are stupid in a way, but they, they become smart when they're collected in the right order. But you have to shift the cards to, for the tech to be in the right order all the time. So that's very normal if that happens. And that's where you do a manual verification as well, just to make sure that the person would do the same work as a machine would. Right. And uh, what's the competition like? Are there many companies doing something like there this? There are several right companies doing that. Uh, companies that started maybe a more manual approach first, uh, that have built the business for themselves based right. on the manual process, uh, and maybe who are not in the best position to automate it all, which very fees, of course, because we're just starting. Right. And uh, in one of the previous interviews, I think you mentioned uh, that it's very important uh, that you have this video taken of the session uh, because uh, some of the other solutions could be fooled with just an image shown to them. Is that is that really so? Like, is this how it works? Uh, it is important uh, because uh, video and frame-to-frame -frame analysis exposes lots of uh, uh, possible places where to detect fraud, um, like also video, audio on video, whether right. there are voices in the room, whether whether there are uh, sounds in the room, are correlating to the environment where it is. Uh, if there is different, like, dramatic change in terms of what the environment is and what the sounds are, that's a uh, obvious uh, fraudulent case uh, right. because the video has been tampered in some way. So video is important and, uh, well, we we are videotaped all the time anyway, everywhere, so. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So who are your customers? Our customers are mostly like fintech companies, uh, also companies that need to attract a lot of uh, potential customers uh, of whom they need to know who they really are, uh, like companies using marketing campaigns and uh, giveaways. They actually want to eliminate fraud, just not to make the market money, etc. Uh, but I think uh, going forward, uh, being identified in internet in trusted ways, something normal, which means that everyone are com is our customer. Right. Do you also work with the governments? We don't work specifically with governments. Uh, we come from Estonia, which is digitally very advanced society. Yeah. And that's why I think we think we are in the best position to win this game, actually, because we already live in this digital Narnia, if you will, uh, where everything basically happens to you, just that you happen to have the uh, right PKI in infrastructure in place. Right. Uh, recently, uh, quite recently, I think we covered uh, very f on uh, tech.eu, and that was the new story about the acquisition of uh, browser ID. So uh, what does that do and uh, how is it going to be integrated in your uh, solution? Well, browser ID uh, was an important milestone for us as well, because uh, if startups are buying startups, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of a hint of a good direction or a good strategic thinking. Browser ID was developed uh, by one person that we wanted to work with, definitely. Right. Uh, and uh, the, the service that is already there enables to do pretty good device fingerprinting without uh, actually 
invading anyone's privacy right. uh, because every device has a fingerprint on browser level, on the network level, on the computer level, and it gets shared all the time. Now is the question, how do you use that data to find out whether somebody is trying to violate uh, or issue the fraudulent cases from the same infrastructure, etc. All this information actually helps us to make better decisions. Right. So how many people work uh, for Verif right now? So we were like 20 people last year, and now we are, I believe, 107. And, That's uh, a lot of people. Yes, so basically there is a big part of it is our verification specialist whom we're hiring like crazy because the volumes are growing and we need more and more uh, staff to handle that. Uh, do you mean actually people who look at uh, yes, the uh, yes. Uh, documents? Yes, because volumes are growing faster than automation is, which is sort of inevitable. But we have a plus 30 people working engineering, product and design. So a very fast hiring mode right now going on. Right. And do you think you will arrive at a point... Uh, when you will not need those specialists to like uh, to to look at the uh, documents. Well, and the I videos. hope not, uh, because I hope the volumes are growing faster, so that there will always something to do uh, for persons and people, because their judgment at the end of the day is um, like very very educated, and they have the ability to do the forward forward looking uh, like analysis of the sessions like what this could be. You know, they have the imagination that they can apply and talk to machine learning guys. Can you validate this this feeling I have? And uh, there will always be sessions that are ambiguous and cannot be made uh, decision automatically upon. So those decisions go to those verification specialists and it's a pretty good like a sheriff's job. <laughs> right. So it's not like uh, people are looking at each transaction, but it's just the ones that are not entirely clear whether so they're good or not. where the right. machine cannot make a decision, right? I mean, there are those, those situations uh, always. How often do you see them? Like, what percentage? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, right now, what we do in terms of automation is, is we are we still uh, can make decision about minority of mm -hmm. uh, uh, cases. So majority go to manual review. Uh, we hope to change that. Uh, the automation is really, like I said, very specimen country and customer mm -hmm. specific thing. So it's not something you just turn on for everyone and it's applicable. Uh, so it needs to be tweaked uh, rather carefully uh, in, in order to not to make the mistake, which is not really possible in our case, zero yeah. mistake policy. Do you uh, have any like percentage of allowed mistakes or does it have to be 0, 0.00? Well, it's pretty much zero uh, <laughs> because of course it depends on the customer agreement at the end of the day. Uh, but uh, so this, there are insurances in place, et cetera, but uh, it's, uh, we can't really allow that at this stage. So we have to be, have to be very, very careful. What kind of, what kind of volumes are we talking about? Like Tens of thousands of verifications per day. Per, per day. Oh my goodness, that's that, that's quite that's quite big. So what's uh, what's next then? What are what are the plans? What are you busy with? Well, automation is the key. We need to first decline everything that is declinable easily, then uh, allow everything that is allowable or approvable easily, and then tackle things in between. Right, and uh, that's a uh, that's a pretty hard work and a pretty detailed. Uh, uh, detail level work so that's and that's why we're doing it that's why we need why we need more folks as well so where are your customers located is it mostly local is it mostly european it's or all over the place yeah. something totally unrelated in one of the interviews uh, i think 
someone from uh, the company mentioned that you are a brewer. Uh, Is that so? <laughs> yes, I, I, I own the brewery. It's called Perjala Brewery. It's wow. very popular in Netherlands, which is one of our key export markets. So uh, we just opened a new uh, tap room and the brewery factory uh, in uh, Loblesne area in Tallinn. So everyone, please come come by. Oh, this is really interesting. How, wh 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 where is this coming from? Uh, well, you know, uh, sometimes in life men uh, think what they have achieved in their life. And if they built a house and had a child, uh, then the next thought for me was, I haven't made my own beer yet. And well, then I did. And uh, brewery happened after that. <laughs> Perfect. This is amazing. And we are at uh, Tech Chill now at the conference and uh, you're going on stage later today, right? So what are we going to be talking about? Well, I'm going to do actually sort of a retrospective through my career, looking at Skype, Pipedrive, uh, Bohiala and Verif. And I'm going to try to distill certain principles that I've seen making those companies successful. And uh, hopefully that is something that people can take away and uh, go home with. Can you give sort of a summary real oh, quick? Yeah. What is it? Basically, yeah, the statement on the last slide is that you have to be product focused. Your product has to solve the very big problem, like real problem. Uh, and uh, you have to start together and make uh, every preparation to situation where things get hard. And they will. Uh, so if you've protected against that or you have a general agreement that... Uh, in place that regulates these situations when things get hard, uh, then uh, everything is fine because you're in the same boat. What problem does beer solve? A beer solves a problem that has been there for decades where big pale lager manufacturers have given you a substance that is beer-like, that has no character, no... Uh, innovation, there is nothing to that drink, only the temperature is the only characterization aspect that you can basically describe that drink. Beer has been ruined and we are bringing it back. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tiet, and good luck with the products, be it beer or security and verification. Take care. Cheers. Now, this is it for today's podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on iTunes, please take a minute to also leave us a review and this will help others to find the show easier. Now, tell a friend or colleague about the podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at andri at tech dot EU. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Bye-bye.